Hi everyone, I'm Tara Lon. Welcome to Time Out with Tinseltown Mom. I'm here today with Dr. Sanam Hafiz, a licensed psychologist and sought after television, media, and print personality. Today we're gonna to talk about the difference between kids exhibiting signs of laziness versus a learning disability. Hi, Dr. Javiz. Welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to be back on. It's so great to see you again. It's been a couple of years, and I know this topic is right up your alley, so I'm excited to really dive in. Yeah, same. So before we dive in, can you just tell us a little bit more about you and what you do? So I'm a licensed psychologist, but my specialty is neuropsychology, which means I primarily do assessments which then means that I am in charge of making diagnoses and recommendations, which not only serve the patient, be it a child or an adult, but also for the schools, for jobs, for tests, for psychiatrists, neurologists, therapists, psychologists, you name it. So the idea about a behind a neuropsychological is that we want to not only give you the answers and kind of cut out the riffraff, but also be useful to other professionals who can then make the right, uh, you know, either treatment or implement the right type of therapies. I also always like to be transparent. I have my own center for a very long time since 2006. It's called Comprehensive Consultation Psychological Services. So it, I founded it in 2006. Um, and now we, uh, we have a group of five psychologists or neuropsychologists. And all we do is testing day in and day out. And we have a pretty hefty team of, you know, psychometricians and wonderful staff that takes care of all the stuff that we can't and you know uh we wouldn't be able to do a good clinical job if we were dealing with insurances and answering phones and so we've got a a, a fairly decent thing going and very excited about it because as you can imagine COVID all but undid those of us that were that were in small business and we were not just in a small business we were in a, a an industry of service to children to adults struggling with mental health issues and neurological issues, which obviously COVID pushed to the forefront. So it hasn't been easy, but I think sometimes when things get hard, it it really does strengthen you in ways you didn't see coming. It's, it's a matter of need and time. So uh, we're doing pretty well, um, you know, and I just, I'm, I'm happy to say that we've just been busier than we've ever been and really feel like we've making, we're making a good difference for a lot of folks out there. Yeah, I feel like a lot of this is needed because of COVID. I think it's brought a lot of this to the limelight, like the need that is so great out there. So today we're talking about learning disabilities and kids and teens. And I know this is right up your alley. And before we delve into the subject, can you explain what a learning disability is and what it's not, just for those who are not clear? So learning disability, by definition, is a neurological impairment in learning something, you know, whether it's math, whether it's reading, whether it's writing, whether it's something that's visual spatial. And the fact that it's neurological also implies that there is something organic or something structural that is preventing you from learning or acquiring novel information, right? So we often find, for instance, a learning disability is usually inherited or to some degree genetic, just like ADHD, just like depression and anxiety. You know, rarely will we meet a child or an individual or an, an adult who says, yeah, I, I don't know of any history. And I, you know, sometimes when I talk to adults, I go, it may not have been diagnosed, but do you suspect it? And I'll hear something like, yeah, my dad dropped out of high school or my mom can't do maths, maths to save her life. Or, you know, I have an uncle who couldn't read and everyone knew it. No one called him dyslexic, but, you know, everyone knew it. 
So the fact that it's neurological often also indicates that there's some genetic component to it. And the other caveat or the important factor to note is learning disability by definition means that we are implying an average or even low average cognitive functioning. So if you have very low cognitive functioning, let's say second percentile, fifth percentile, and you're learning disabled or you can't read or do math, or you can learn, read, or do math commensurate, meaning on the same level as your cognitive functioning, that by definition is not a learning disability. Because if, if you're not cognitively very strong, then it's not surprising that you can't read or write. That doesn't mean that you can't be remediated in the same way. But by technicality alone, it precludes the definition of learning disability. Hmm. That's interesting because I was going to ask that question. Is it possible to have a learning disability? Let's say it's a teen and they're excelling in all of their subjects, except let's say English, because they have to read so many books and they're just not great at reading. So it's possible, it sounds like, that you can have a learning disability and still still do well in other areas, but not one particular area. Is that the case? Actually, that would highlight the fact that it is a learning disability, because if let's say you were just cognitively impaired or you had a global pervasive issue with learning, you wouldn't be able to learn in one area and not in another. So usually that one discrepancy from the rest of your achievement, being school, academic achievement, or that discrepancy from your what we used to call ability achievement, ability mean what God gave you, your mama gave you, I like to say, it's what your mama gave you, versus your achievement, which is your educational attainment, that discrepancy is what defines a learning disability. So, and then speaking of learning disabilities, how many of them are there out there? So the major ones are the ones we all know about, you know, a reading disability, which can be further defined into dyslexia or a reading comprehension disability. Generally, you know, people go, well, why didn't you put dyslexia down? Well, dyslexia is more specific because it implies uh, an inability to decode words or encode words, a visual spatial deficit in the way you read, as opposed to, let's say, a comprehension deficit right? Or a speed deficit that still qualifies you for a learning disability. There's math, which is dyscalculia. There's written expression, which could be dysgraphia. You know, sometimes people can write mechanically, but not compose something that actually makes sense. Hmm. So the, the one thing stuck on are labels, and they don't understand that for, for people like myself who do this for a living, neuropsychologists who understand the concept of learning, Every learning disability has many levels and many, you know, layers to it. And there's no one clean answer, which means there's no one, you know, clear or, or direct intervention. Yeah. So every scenario is going to be a little different. And then, the, you know, there, there are people who have nonverbal learning disabilities. They have visual, spatial or processing issues. Uh, but the ones that I mentioned earlier are the more most, you know, salient ones. Right. And I know we mentioned, or I mentioned earlier, laziness in kids. Is that something that we just want to avoid saying that kids, some kids are lazy or are some kids lazy? Yeah, are lazy, you know, some adults are lazy. Yeah. That, that's one of the thing that, things that as I get older, I feel frustrates me more because I think having kids also sort of like brings a lot of things to the forefront and you feel like, yes, you know, being sensitive is one thing, but sensitive should not mean insincere. It should not mean that you're just now making things up. You know, I tell people that I'm in the profession of 
not just being a healer, but kind of a truth, a truth teller, mm-hmm. you know, which doesn't always be popular at parties, but, <laughs> you know, I, I believe in, I, I, when people come in and I'm, I'm supposed to sit there and give people answers, diagnoses, you know, hard, cold facts. I don't get to cushion it. I don't, you know, I wouldn't be doing them any favors if I sugarcoated or buffered the truth for them. When people know what they're, they can actually make changes. Yeah. And the reality is that, you know, a lot of us, the reason I'm so much busier after the pandemic, I think a lot of people had spent a great deal of their life telling themselves a version of the truth that worked for them, that that hid or protected them. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people that it just wasn't working as well after the pandemic or during the pandemic. They had to come to face with a lot of inner demons and a lot of struggles that they had, you know, thought they worked around. The problem is when you don't get to the bottom of something and you don't excavate the issue and fix it, when you're in a different situation or a different position, it will come back up because Mm -hmm. you didn't really address it. You were just, you know, we all do that. We all find ways to get around you know, difficulty. So I do think that people can be lazy. I do think that the majority of people have other difficulties that maybe predispose them to possibly being lazier, you know, than they would like to be. Who doesn't want to excel? Who doesn't want to do well at school? Who doesn't want to make money? Who doesn't want to get the great job or have the perfect marriage or travel the world, right? Everyone wants to do it. Then why is it that some people seem to struggle with that more than others, right? Yeah. So laziness, implies an inherent um, disregard, maybe, or an indifference. And I think that's a problem, because I don't think anyone's doing that on purpose. I think what people are doing on purpose is ignoring the real hard truths. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of it mimics probably laziness, but it's something underlying that needs to be addressed. Yeah exactly it. So for instance, people who have ADHD, you know, people who might have a learning disability, if you never see someone read a book, and you know, the wife goes, God, you honey, you're so lazy, you'll never read anything. He doesn't know how to tell her that I've never been very good at reading. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to focus or the words kind of like move around on the page. And, and it's hard for me to track them, right? I mean, how does someone know that? And you hear that again, and again, and again, over your lifetime, you start to believe it, you start yeah. to go, lazy. Why can so-and-so do this and I can't do it? And you know what? That must be it. I must just be lazy or I must be stupid or I must just be, you know, not cut out for this. So even when there's a grain of truth to something, I think there usually is a bigger problem behind it. Right. So why don't we start with the dyslexia? Because I think that's probably the most common learning disability. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and, you know, it comes up a lot. I think people also throw it around, you know, I switch words or numbers. I must be dyslexic. That's not always the case. You know, dyslexia, like other disability implies that you have a marked difficulty in doing something, whether it means reading, whether it's retaining, whether it's decoding and dyslexia has components too, right? Think back to when you were in kindergarten or first grade, if you can even, anyone can think that far, but we didn't just suddenly start reading the way most of us do, right? We first learned what, what letters and beginning sounds looked like. We started to read words. We, you know, one of the messages we get very early on is that reading is key. You have to read everywhere. You go to a restaurant, you got to read the menu. You know, you go to a movie theater, you got to read the title. You, any, you know, you, you get um, even a box with a toy, your favorite toy in it. You have to read the instructions before you know how to play with it. So we get this very clear message that reading is integral to our survival. 
And of course, every parent's like, read, 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 read. And, you know, I am one of those people. I do think reading is integral to success. I do think reading is integral to um, even happiness. I'm, I'm a voracious reader, always have been. And I kind of, even over the pandemic, resented how I didn't seem to find time for all the books that I, I kept buying and I couldn't read them. So I am one of those people. But I always think, like, why do people place such an importance on reading? Because honestly, there's no getting away from it. You know, a child who even excels at math will eventually have a difficult time because when it comes to word problems and they're not good readers, they're going to hit a snag. Mm -hmm. If they're computer science geniuses, they're going to hit a problem when it's time to deco uh, to code. And, you know, there is a, uh, you know, when, when someone says, you know, here's, oh, you want to be an artist? Great. You have an art history test coming up. You're going to have to read. There's no getting away from it. You bring home a bookshelf from Ikea, you're going to have to read. So, Reading has all these components. It is in really important to our survival and our education. I think there's also a big connection between how we speak and how we read and vice versa. So a lot of children who struggle with speech early on can also have speech um, reading comprehension deficits later on. So there's a, a connection there as well. Mm -hmm. um, dyslexia, by definition, is an impairment in reading, but it has it has components to it. There's the decoding component, which means you see a word like catastrophe and you have to figure out the different syllables and blend the sounds into the other, right? Then it's retaining the word catastrophe by encoding it into your word bank. So the majority of us adults pick up a paper or pick up an article or open up something on our, our phone or our computer we don't stop to decode each and every word. I mean, does anyone ever wonder why we can quickly glance at something and read so many words? I mean, I mean, it's also incredible how the brain can process that information, right? Like these words are coming at you. Not only can you read them without actually stopping, you know what they're saying. I mean, a lot of us who are even decent readers, not even fantastic readers, can read something fairly quickly. That is the encoding process where... Words are added to your bank at a rapid fire speed when you're younger. You know, this is why, you know, I remember when my boys were learning to read, they would often stop at the, the what and where and why and go, what, 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 you know, I remember the sounds. And now, of course, their reading blows me away. But it's amazing how you can go from struggling with the was sounds to being able to read an entire page without even, you know, stopping to, to read each word just by glancing at it. That is a power of encoding. And then there's a visual spatial component where you might look at a page and constantly lose your spot. You forget where you are. You know, people who have dyslexia can sometimes report the, the letters floating up off the page and kind of moving around. That's a visual spatial deficit that impacts the way you read. That's still dyslexia. So dyslexia and comprehension are not the same thing. I often have patients who have dyslexia, but if you read them the story or they listen to it on an audiobook, they can answer all the questions because what they have done over the time, over the, the period that they've struggled, they've strengthened, strengthened their auditory receptivity. Mm. You know, the thing for your listeners that I want to put out there, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've been a neuropsychologist, I've been a psychologist since licensed psychologist since 2004. I got my doctorate in, at the end of 2002. And I've been a neuropsychologist for the majority of those years assessments. And I don't think there was a better time to be a dyslexic 
or someone with a, a writing disability, right? Because even 10 years ago, I remember getting so excited when I once heard about this pen that could record what someone was saying, and then it would convert it. Once you plugged it into your computer, it would convert it to text. Now your phone has, you know, 10 options of dictating, taking what you say, writing it up for you, a spell check grammarly that shows up, you know, um, whenever you write something, you know, the little thing that shows up on your uh, on your screen, whether it's on, on a, a web page or on your Word doc. You know, there's so many assistive technology uh, devices and apps and softwares that can help you. So there's, you know, everything that you can ever read by hand in a book, you can listen to it on tape. You can, yeah. you know, Kindles from that to having everything. There's an audiobook for everything. So I think if there was ever a time to be learning disabled, I think this is probably it because there's so many tools out there that in my own career, in my own lifetime, I'm really just seeing for the first time in the last few years, which is very helpful. And it's very encouraging and promising because I can't tell you how many, I mean, most of us know this, but there are incredible people out there with incredible intelligence and a lot to contribute who don't know how to move forward because they can't read or write. Yeah, no, that's good that you said that, especially all the technological advances that there are today. Um, Speaking of dyslexia and the reading comprehension portion. So someone just to clarify for dyslexia, for example, because there may be some parents listening whose kids, they read very well. However, when it's time for the comprehension portion, they struggle. Now, are you saying that's a different uh, form of dyslexia where you cannot comprehend what you're reading, even though you can read fantastically, but it's all under the umbrella dyslexia no it's under the umbrella of a reading disorder it's oh, not right. disorder. Disorder. So dyslexia, yeah okay. dyslexia very much is what i just finished describing okay. the decoding the encoding visual yeah. spatial stuff reading comprehension is something else you know it means mechanically you can do, go through the motions of reading but you can't comprehend what you're reading chances are that a lot of people who struggle with that also struggle with language you know the, the kind of people that Adults and children, you speak to them and there's a puzzled, glazed over look on their face. They don't actually know what you just said because the words go into your brain and just kind of scramble Mm -hmm. and you don't know, you know, how to process or they feel overwhelmed by all the information. Then there are also people who have difficulties with attention. You know, how many times I've had someone who's in college and grad school and law school and medical school and go, I never had a problem with reading. I thought I was an okay reader, except now I find myself reading the same page over and over and over again. Well, because now you suddenly have a lot more volume and the amount of attention required is too great for you to compensate for, right? You actually have to pay attention to what it is you're reading. It's very interesting because I have the these young boys and and I'm you know, a neuropsychologist, so I can't help but constantly teach them you know, how the brain works and, and how to better themselves. I'm reading a book that a lot of your viewers and listeners might have heard about. It's called The Selfish Gene. It's a fantastic book. Have you heard of it? It's from like the 1970s, actually. No, I've not heard it's of been, it. Yeah, I, I've heard of it. I finally bought it a couple of years ago. I just got around to reading it now. And it's a really interesting book that talks about genes and DNA. And I think over the last 40 years, they've 
added to it. They revised it because we've made so many advances in understanding genetics and DNA and whatnot. And I find myself often stopping and rereading because as fun as it is, it's also not taxing, but it's it's technical and it's asking me to think about what it is that I'm reading. And I tell my kids, I go, you know, if this was fiction, I'd blow right past it. It'd be fun because it'd just be like reading a story or a narrative. Whereas this is asking me to consider scientific facts and, and whatnot. So it's easy to read material that is fun. Reading comprehension and ADHD can really become a, a real pain when the material is not, not necessarily not just fun, but just difficult. There's just so many yeah. complicated layers to them. So the umbrella of reading comprehension encompasses dyslexia. Okay. Okay. Got it. Now, just for parents listening. The other way around. Okay. So for parents listening, if they're unsure if their child has a learning disability, let's say they're, they do poorly on their reading comprehension test. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have a reading uh, disability, but what are some telltale signs that it's a reading or reading disability, as opposed to maybe they're not applying themselves like they need to. And I don't know if in this scenario, if you could apply yourself better, if you're reading, you don't understand it. Like, is it? Does that make sense? That question that I'm asking just to help parents out a little bit. Yeah. You know, sometimes I hear about people, children and adults who say, I'm not good at reading, but I enjoy it. I like to read. I wish I could read better. You know, um, I think some people really do have a proclivity toward reading. Some people enjoy reading more than other people, not because they're not, they're better at it. Just like everything else in life. Some of us, we enjoy certain things over other people. I mean, it'd be pretty boring if we were all the same. But I think one of the ways in a child, especially for the purposes of your audience, if you find that a younger child is struggling with new words, can't retain the word, let's say you've gone over it several times, they turn back around and have no idea that they've just, they learned that word, or they struggle with the pronunciation or even initiating the sounds of certain words or recognizing the silent sounds. Maybe it could be dyslexia especially if it's persistent, especially if it's gone past maybe first or second grade, because we usually resolve a lot of these things by then. Um, with comprehension, I mean, I'll tell you a quick story from just last night. My kids had this homework where there was um, an incredible story uh, about a man who developed the irrigation system. And it was a full page, you know, because reading is becoming more and more luminous. There were questions on the back of it. And I saw the both of them just trying to answer the questions. And I said, you have to trust me when I tell you this, that you first only read the passage and you read it again. You don't look at the questions at all. Read it three or four or even five times if you need to. And by the time you turn the page over and read the questions, you won't even have to turn turn it back over to look at the the, the, the passage or the information to answer it. But I saw the both of them just racing toward just answering the questions. And they both got you know, a couple of things wrong. And I said, you're both good readers, but you know we lose patience when it's not fun and we have something to do that has to do with the reading. Mm -hmm. you know. And I think it's important. So, so with them, I could see that this wasn't a comprehension issue. It was laziness. It was impulsivity. It was seven-year-olds being seven-year-olds, you know, not wanting to put in the time. Um, but when you see that a child is trying and they're just not comprehending something, that is more a, a learning issue. 
you know, where you're like, but I, you read this, let's say they can decode fine. There's no dyslexia that they read, but they can't answer the questions. And you say, honey, what happened? What happens when the information goes in there? And they can't explain it to you. And you don't think it's, it's an attention issue. However, I will say that reading and ADHD are two of the most overlapping conditions there, there are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I say, I don't know most up-to-date figures, but I remember there being a 50 to 80% overlap in ADHD and reading disorders. Wow. A really yeah. big, a really big number. Yeah. They often find that people with reading often struggle with attention. And I think that is the bigger number. The people who have difficulties with reading struggling with attention and to a smaller degree, people with ADHD also having a learning disability uh, and the majority of that learning problem being reading. Right. Now let's talk about, I know we've talked about reading. What about math? What disability is commonly associated with someone doing well in all their other subjects? But math, for example, they just can't get concepts or geometric, whatever. I mean, I'm just making up stuff. What type of learning disability could someone have when it comes to math? As I love talking about this, I, for the longest time, used to be the guest speaker for CUNY would do a, an annual learning disability conference. And all the CUNY school uh, professors and directors of disability affairs would come together and I would present on this. Um, you know, and then since then, I've also done other things, especially with regard to autism and integrating the autistic population into colleges, because it really wasn't a framework for them even up until five, seven years ago. Um, and I love talking about this because I am, I've never been diagnosed and I do neuropsychology all day, which is all statistics and all data. But growing up, I was convinced that I must be learning disabled in math because my reading and writing scores were through the roof without trying. And I just could not grasp the most basic concepts in math. And my joke was that before, when I got into my doctoral program, I remember the summer leading up to it. And I was very young. I was going straight out of college. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going to flunk out. I, I'm, I'm going to have to do like a year, year and a half of statistics. Like, you know, that, that imposter syndrome, I'm going to get found out. They're going to find out I can't do math. The kicker was that I aced the statistics, which is a different type of math. You know, some might argue a more difficult kind of math, which is why I'm in a profession where I do neuropsychology, which is all statistics all day long. But to this day, if you give me a simple division or a long multiplication, I will avoid it because I find it to be taxing and distressing to my brain. And I can't, I can, I can't give you a clean answer to that. But there is such a thing. I think a lot of people who are very heavily left brain, I think struggle with heavily. I don't mean in even amounts. If they're very, very strong verbally or by writing or reading, I think rarely do I see an equal amount of mathematical strength. Mm-hmm. Just like when I see people who are geniuses in the engineering world or the um, computer science or the math world, you know, before autism was what it is, there used to be sort of like an inner industry, kind of like a an understanding or a joke that they, pro- they a lot of them seem like they have Asperger's disorder. It's not that they did. It's just that because they were so heavily math oriented, they just didn't have a lot of interest in having conversations or, you know, reading and writing. And that that's not to say they couldn't, they were just heavily math people, right? So I think a math learning disability can really 
pertain to different 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 things in different varying degrees. So dyscalculia is a disability in doing actual math, right? But then there are people who can do that, but don't know how to take a word problem and translate that to a mathematical operation. And then vice versa. People who are better at decoding and understanding what a word problem is asking for and can't do the actual calculation. And then there are people like me who that basic, I remember sequential math in high school was, I dreaded that thing. I mean, it was horrible. I don't know if you remember sequential math, but that's sequential math, one, two, three, that was math. Yeah, and, I do remember it. That was not my strong suit. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> right. And, you know, but technically that might've been easier or simpler. I enjoyed statistics, maybe because it was applied math, perhaps. Uh, maybe it was in an area that I understood and enjoyed, like p-values and what that meant for research and data. But I also believe that when it comes to math, there are different aspects of your brain that can be activated. Very similar to people who are not so great at reading, but can put together a wonderful story and write a very compelling argument, right? So even reading and writing don't have to go hand in hand, just like the different areas of math don't have to go hand in hand. But there's, you know, when it comes to um, understanding the abstract, you know, there's a nonverbal component. Mm -hmm. um, these might also be patients or folks who look at a graph or a chart or a table and get sort of distracted or stumped because they don't know how to make sense of it. It takes them longer. Meanwhile, we all know people who can glance at something like that and figure it out right away, right? right? I sometimes, yeah, I sometimes talk about people who like the directions on map or ways, but don't like to look at the map. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who like the map, don't, don't want to read the directions. Yeah. So I think the, uh, the answer is there is not just one answer to any of this because it's so complex. <laughs> but if a parent exactly. suspects, yes, as we wind down the conversation, if a parent suspects that their child may have a learning disability, whether they're a they're a kid or a teen, what should be their first course of action? Is there a number they can call for them to get evaluated? So they obviously are very welcome to come to my, my center. Um, they would call 718-441-0166 or go to comprehendthemind.com. Um, and if you we take your, your insurance, we would initiate the process, which would take four to six months. But I must say that your first line of defense is your school. Go to the teacher. Find out what the teacher is seeing in the school. Find out if they're willing to do an evaluation. Now, mind you, a school evaluation is not the same as the, the one we would do, but at least it would initiate the process in getting your child some services, whether it's extra time, whether it's resource room, whether it's sets. You know, when we do an evaluation, it takes a few months, but we can really pinpoint the difficulty and give you a lot of recommendations. But also understand that a few months of time is lost during that. So, yeah. You know, always know what even when it comes to behavioral issues, emotional issues, your school is a, a really first line of defense and a great resource. Wonderfully said. Thank you so much. I think we're going to need a part two for this conversation because there's so much to talk about. <laughs> yes.
Thank you so I much. I told you I could go on about learning disabilities. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Havos, yeah. for being here. Now, where can people find you if they want to know about more about you and just the services that you provide? They can go to comprehendthemind.com. Um, my social media of choice is Instagram. I'm Dr. Sanam Hafiz. And they can call the office, like I said, at 718-441-0166. I've got a great team. Thanks for listening to Time Out with Tinseltown Mom. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a positive review on Apple. I want to get this podcast in front of a wider audience. So any encouraging words you can leave will be so helpful. If not, just continue enjoying the show. Until next time.